whoever thinks that technology is an obstacle, <laughs> you just, you got to overcome it. Yeah. Just keep going. <laughs> um, in our, uh, our call with our teachers today, we were talking about something called the turnaround. And when you have a negative thought or you're coming up against resistance, one of the strategies you can use is to turn it around. And this is something I like to do on myself all the time. So we were first talking about this idea of the hell yes, which is something we've all been talking about a little bit and feeling that in your body around like making decisions and boundaries and whatnot. And I said, well, what if you turn that around and you carry this idea with you that you are saying hell yes to whatever it is that you're trying to do. Not trying to just get somebody to say hell yes to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then one of the gals that was on the call today has expressed some pretty consistent resistance to technology. And the the idea or the thought is, and we hear this all the time, right, Am, um, is that technology is hard. And I said, well, so we can use the turnaround and you can say, what if it is, I am hard on technology <laughs> or I am hard, like everything you could possibly say about technology, could you say it about yourself and is some part of that, like, can you find some truth in that? So if you're thinking technology is hard, it's inconsistent, it's stubborn, it's complex <laughs> and you turn that all around yeah. you say, I am hard and I am sometimes inconsistent and I am complex and I am stubborn. I know that I could say yes to that most <laughs> in most moments. <laughs> and it gives me a greater fondness for technology because I have a great fondness for my own self. <laughs> well, and I think too, like, um, it's not hard to consume technology, right? <laughs> I think. Yeah. So it's like, it's all, you could also turn it around and say, it's not hard to make, not, not hard to make it. Right. That's right. It's easy to consume technology and the turnaround is it's easy to leverage technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Such a perspective shift. Well, talking about perspective shift, um, I have so many ideas about the title of this particular conversation and what I labeled it in our recording platform is if it's too good, it's not that good. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the reason is because what really what we're talking about is we're talking about um, a shift in the way that we lead and learn that is much more dynamic than um, what most of us are used to, right? Historically, the way education or leadership is di um, distributed, we know now, not just from experience, but from the brain science and learning perspective, that it's actually, we're just not doing that good of a job, right, at that. And, and one of the things uh, that we want to bring forth today is an idea that we've maybe talked about before, which is rupture and repair. Mm -hmm. And this first, this concept first um, was shared with me through the lens of the nervous system, um, through a woman named Deb Dana, who's written many books on the polyvagal theory and applying it to um, uh, talk therapy and counseling um, and it's a really valuable concept. And what Anne and I have been playing with recently is that it, it plays a huge role in education, in the way that we deliver education, the way that we learn and consume education, and ultimately in the way that we lead and guide, right, our people. So the premise, and we're going to get into our what's in process real life riff here in a second, but 
The idea is that if if there is no rupture, there can never be repair, and therefore there cannot be a growth of strength or resilience or a layering of knowledge, right? That makes the and what the way we talk about it and the way it's talked about in many um, uh, from many perspectives is deep learning, and so that's really what we're here to share with you today: is how do you create and allow for and build in explicitly time for rupture and repair, and how what's the impact on that um, for learning, for education, for leading? Um, because if there is no rupture, right? If there's not discontinence, no, that's not the word. Yeah, discontinuity. What what is the word? There's so many words I could choose. If there's not um, what were some of the t- concepts we were talking about, Anne? Like a little bit of fear, a little mm-hmm. bit of challenge, a bit of getting it wrong of, you know, like if there is none of that, it's just all smooth sailing and all good. We really aren't ever tapping into deep learning, right? We're never building resilience. So if it's too good, it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I feel like, one of the things that I was hearing you say um, was this aspect of time, right? Yes. And that time is such a important piece for allowing for rupture and repair. Are there ways maybe to, there might be ways to speed up rupture. <laughs> I'm not sure there's ways to speed up repair. Um, and maybe the repair won't be as valuable if you speed up the rupture, right? So we, we have to allow that, that, that time component. Yeah. And I think really what, what we're going to be talking about today is how do we, how do we understand what a rupture is in the learning, teaching and leading environment? And how do we, how do we build it in, right? Mm -hmm. How do we plan? How do we explicitly design for it, which is something that you and I are talking about and teaching all the time, which is being the designers of our education and our leadership. Um, You can certainly intentionally design rupture, right? And we'll talk about some examples of that. And then depending on the type of rupture will dictate the time you need for repair. And then it's very... uh, it's very individual as we know, right? Because our learners are variable. Mm -hmm. And so how much time it will take you to repair from a particular rupture is different than me. Sometimes I will repair faster than you. Sometimes you repair faster than me, depends on the context. Um, So really excited to talk about this, especially in light of the new offering we just launched called Dynamic Education and Movement. Um, And we're going to use some examples from that program to show you exactly how we have implemented this idea of dynamic education and deep learning, rupture and repair through the format through which Anne and I are about to begin um, offering some of our some of our coaching and mentoring. Okay, that's a lot of like foreshadowing for a lot of great stuff that's coming in this conversation. But let's let's do real life riff. Let's let's check in with each other and with our community. Um, what what are you working on right now, Anne? What's on what's on your mind? <sighs> well, I'm going to do some foreshadowing. 
Um, yeah. I'm going to make a big, a big life change soon. And I'm very excited about it. Um, and I realized that what, um, it's so interesting. I, I made a decision in one of uh, my businesses and it's, it's a big decision and it's, it's, it's asking me to step up into a much, much, much bigger, in a much bigger way. And I cannot believe the momentum that I have behind me. And it's just, uh, I don't know. I think, I think sometimes there's been times in my life where I thought things were not working because I was going too fast when really mm. they were not working because I was not going fast enough. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Can you give us an example? Um, I'm going to give an example of movement, right? Okay. So it's like, if you're a person who, you know, has gone through any sort of like rehab or post rehab for, for part of your body, like part of the rehab includes ballistic movement, right? So you don't do that right out of a, of an injury or, or surgery, right? That comes later, but that ballistic movement will then turn around and support the movement that is more like controlled and slow, um, which is something that is really easy to do in Pilates do very, you know, it's easy to do controlled and slow movement in Pilates. Um, and so what I have found is that in the past when my control and slow movement in a Pilates atmosphere or in the gym or yoga or bar or dance, like um, some of the things I've practiced a lot in my life, like if I couldn't get it slow, I was like, well, I'll just go slower <laughs> instead of like, no, we should just try to go faster. Like we really need this variability. Um in our, in our physical beings, um, in our creative beings, in our imagination. And so, uh, yeah, I, I will, I will share that physical example. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of riding a bike or a motorcycle and on a motorcycle, they say, uh, like zero miles per hour. It's like your worst enemy, like going slow is way harder on two wheels, right? So if you're riding, and you're trying to do like slow, slow maneuvering is incredibly difficult. So if you think about it, it, more people can relate to being on a bicycle, right? Like you're riding slowly and, and the slower you're riding, the harder the balance is. So if under your previous example, that thought is I'm having a hard time going slow, I should go slower. Well, when you go slower on a bicycle, you just fall down. <laughs> yeah. And I just faster because you actually have more balance and more control mm -hmm. through the force of the wheels. Yeah. And it's funny because I have other physical experiences where I've been like, oh, I definitely need to go fast. Like I was kayaking up in Tahoe years ago and there was like a heavy yeah. wind and there was waves. And I was like, the only way I'm going to get back to shore and not fall into this because it was the winter, there was like lots of ice and it was water. Yeah, water was so cold. I was like, I have to go faster than the waves. And it was just, <laughs> it was so clear, you know, and, and I just booked it hard. And it, it was, it felt really good when you finished, you know. Yeah. Um, I just think sometimes in our lives, you know, we, we get asked to, to slow down for, for different reasons. I would share that motherhood was an experience for me where, I was asked to slow down and certainly when my children were babies, they, they needed some of that, but they also needed 
you know, they needed me to meet. There's such a part of me that's going to keep taking big, bold moves <laughs> no matter yeah. where I am in my life. And if it's hard because I slowed down for my kids is the answer then to slow down even more. <laughs> and I think yeah. you get the pressure of society, I think, a lot of times saying, actually, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I was, um, I've been doing some writing about motorcycling recently in some of my experiences. And I, <laughs> I was writing an article um, about like the, the mothering motorcycle ultimatum, like the ultimatum you get when you're a, not just a female, but a mother on a, on a motorcycle. Ride. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I often get into these conversations uh, with, um, mm, folks about um, how we integrate our children into our lives. And when we decide to have children, whether you're a mother or a father, and the tendency in our current culture to slow down and adapt everything to the child so that now the child is dictating the experience and we are the ones that are demanding major shifts of our, you know, professional lives, personal lives, natural rhythm and flow. And I think an adjustment, of course, is important because we need to recognize that there's a new planet, right, in our orbit. Um, but I think it's very uncommon or much less common for us as parents to say, well, what is the value of bringing the child into, like, my orbit, my established orbit, so that our lives can proceed in a way that is still flowing, right? And so I think we're just talking about, it's not maybe a right or wrong, but we definitely societally, culturally have a, a tendency to move in one direction. And like you said, there is a lot of cultural pressure a lot of times, like slow down because we are very frenetic because we, you know, because again of our kind of modernity and cultural, um, lack of attention, <laughs> right? That's the, the number one um, uh, response is slow down, which, which sometimes is really serving, obviously. It's funny because for me, what's in progress and process is this idea of evaluating the, the body experience of yes, of like saying yes to a thing. Um, and I probably have intimated or outright said, in the past, like I just tend to say yes to lots of things. And my body experience for most things is a yes. And I have to be very careful to pause and acknowledge whether or not that's a habituated yes based on patterns or expectations or whatever it is that may not be actually serving me anymore. Um, or they're really genuine, like they are in alignment with my nature and what, what like lifts me up and lights up my soul. And an example of that is moving around in the world and traveling, right? Which you all know, I do a lot of, and I have really had to be mindful of like the variation of yes in my body. Like, is it a, it, is it again, is it that habituated yes? Because, because leaving and being in the world has been a strategy for a long time to feel better because home life was stressful. You know, that's a complicated, there's complicated undertones to that, but 
Um, I mean, I've, I have said yes to traveling since I was a child, like any opportunity to not be at home. And it's not like my home life was bad. It was just challenging. And so my habituated strategy was to, to go out of, of home, right. To leave or, but I also have a deep desire to see the world and be in the world and have adventures. And so there's this, this kind of nature versus, versus nurture. Yes. And I think that's, um, it's just been really interesting to see like, well, how much of what is true and how much of what is dictating the yes that I'm experiencing. And it's pretty darn subtle. Uh, the yes. Um, but anyway, that's what I have been working on and thinking about. Um, as I just said yes to motorcycling, the highest motorable world in the, on the planet in India next summer. So that's a definite full bodied. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just saw that a few days ago. Yeah. So big celebration to you. I know really excited about that. And then, of course, somebody immediately had to tell me that it's only the second highest motorable world in, on the planet. Okay. So maybe that's up for discussion. <laughs> but I'm sticking with the first. I'm sticking with the first thing. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So, Anne, you and I just we're about to launch. We've been we've been in pre-enrollment kind of pre-launch mode for the last week around our new program mm -hmm. called Dynamic Education and Movement, which. Um, it's a mentorship and um, a seminar series where anybody in the somatics, health and wellness movement profession can come and get continuing education credits, but also be entered into a really meaningful um, mentorship with you and I and some of our other master teachers. Um, and the more I think about this and the more I talk about this program, uh, the more I think that the title is so apropos right? Dynamic education. And when I think about in movement, I think about it can be actually literally in movement, like you can be a movement teacher, or you can be in movement, like in growth, mm -hmm. right? You can be oriented around a growth perspective, whether you are a teacher, an educator, workshop leader, a retreat leader, or an organizational leader or designer. And so let's talk about, um, let's talk about well, let's go back to rupture and repair. So how does this play out from your perspective in learning and teaching? Like what is, what, is, how do you see this? Yeah. I mean, I was reflecting on this the other day and I was thinking how much that when I first began um, te teaching, I, I was very lucky and had, had a true mentorship where I learned a hard skill from someone. And then I taught in their environment and got consistent daily, you know, consistent feedback. And that experience gave me a level of confidence that was just, I don't, I don't know. I didn't realize how much confidence that foundation gave me until later when I realized that some people did not have that level of confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, and Sure, I studied hard and did the things, but I don't, it wasn't, it wasn't just because of me. It was because I received mentorship, right? Mm -hmm. um, and within that experience of mentorship, there was, there was this 
consistent experience of, of rupture and repair. So this concept of not, um, not understanding this hard skill that I had learned, um, and then maybe making a mistake or, or a lack of understanding. And then the repair coming back to me by speaking to someone who knew, knew what they, you know, knew more than I. What was interesting though, is, um, I probably thought that I already knew what to do. Right. And then when I actually applied it in the real world, like, cause if I learned it from a book, I was like, oh, I got this. Like, I understand this. I'm, I'm like a, like a good book learner. Like I can read a most any book, whether it's well-written or poorly written and glean information out of it. Um, but, and so my, my point is that some, it was because of that ability to see my lack of understanding in, in experience, not just because I took a test that showed my lack of understanding, but my lack of understanding and experience and then having support to repair my knowledge is where I felt that that mentorship was so, was so helpful. So that's like an example of where I experienced that. And that's, and, but that is also deeply based in nervous system work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's making me think of like when you go through a vocational training, mm -hmm. um, uh, or, well, let's just use the like workshop example, right? Yeah. We've been talking a lot about that. Um, when you are just uh, attending a workshop, now in the movement community, what typically happens when it's, a, when it's a decently organized and prepped workshop is that because you're learning movement, there is some moment of application, right? So if you're with, with, a, with a teacher for... Um, let's just say three hours, you would expect to that at least 20 minutes of those three hours, hopefully at least, is spent actually being with another person in the workshop where you're going to apply the information. Um, one, there's really not enough time to fully uh, like assess the information and like figure out where it fits. In, in all the rest of your organization, your, your information. So there's not a lot of like um, connections, right? Being made, like interrelating of the new information with the old information. So the lack of time really becomes really kind of an issue. But then, so there you are holding this little piece of information and, and maybe you have not yet figured out how it connects to all your other knowledge. And then you're being asked to apply a thing, whether you're touching the other person or you're guiding them through an experience or a movement. And then you, the compressed amount of time where you actually have to get feedback from the person and reapply the knowledge is almost non-existent. And that's the rupture and repair, right? Like that's making a mistake, feeling in doubt, not quite understanding, still having some missing pieces, all very natural part of the learning process. But if you don't, if you're not able to get the feedback and then reapply, you only get rupture, you don't get repair. And sometimes you don't even get rupture. Well, I love what you're saying here, and I'm not sure I, I 
uh, I'm on track with what you meant, but here's what I thought is when you said, I'm a really good book learner. And I, you know, I think that, you know, you said that you felt like maybe you didn't know you were doing it wrong. Is that what you said? Something like that? Yeah. Or just, I think it's like, you know, you can intellectually get something, you know, if that's like a strength of yours. Yeah. And so you think you understand it, right? Yes. So it's like a naive level of understanding. Then there's no rupture at all. Right. There's just, and we were talking about this in our um, group coaching call today. It's like, you could study Pilates from a book for 500 years and understand it, but you don't actually know how to teach it and how you are with a body, moving a body, moving yourself, moving a body. And you get that repeated, like rinse and repeat experience, which is I have self-doubt. I don't have, I don't know all the information. I'm, it's not going well. It's not going right. They're not getting it. They're messing up. It hurts them. Like whatever the rupture is, if you're never experiencing the rupture, then it's almost like you're just going along in life and you just think it's all good and it's all fine, but it's a false fine, right? Like if it's all, if it's too, if it's all good, it's not, it's not really good because. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a naive level of understanding. You think you understand it, but you don't, you, you don't realize that you, you understand it from a book, but then you take that knowledge and you transfer it to real life and, and you don't have that. So I think too, like, you know, like I've been to other types of training, um, where, you know, I've flown in to get different training from outside the industry, whether it's for business or marketing or, um, other health, health oriented. And a lot of times, yeah, you're there and you really get it. And then you come, you come back to, or, or, or the person comes to your company or your business and then they leave. Yeah. Right. And everyone is like nodding their head. Yes, yes, yes. We understand. I understand. You understand. And, and you do intellectually, you get it. You're like, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And yet- but, but then, but then there was no rupture. Yeah. <laughs> right. So one of the ways in which you can teach is, is you teach in such a way and you design activities so that your students experience a rupture in their understanding or in their grasp of the knowledge. And so you can plan for ruptures like Chantel was alluding to. Um, and there's ways in which to do that in the movement space and the online space and the online movement space and the training space and the workshop space and the retreat space that you, that you plan for these senses of rupture. And then of course, you also want to plan for these abilities to, uh, repair. But yeah. what we have found is Regardless of even if you plan for that in in an environment, if the timeline is too forced or mm-hmm. it's too contrived because the activity that you've created to force the rupture or the activity that you've created to force the repair is not like more organic and authentic for that individual, exactly. it still might not really get to that. And so that's where we really feel that time component is such a um they have to just, they have to come to that from their own, their own place and their own space. Yeah. Because deep learning is dynamic. It's inter, it's interpersonal, right? So, so part of what we are always cultivating in the way that we deliver education and mentoring 
is an opportunity for there to be um, uh, layers of trust that are built over time, right? And to Anne's point, though, it's like some learners and some some mm, some of your staff or your team, right, will repair much more quickly than others. And um, and if you know, we understand. Like I teach one day workshops, I teach two day workshops, like. I, but I understand this concept. So I deliver material in a way and I deliver specific material that optimizes for all of the learners. And then, and then we also expand the time. Let me finish my original thought. In, in that short compressed time, some of your people will get a satisfying rupture and repair experience so that the deep learning happens. But if you are not designing and planning for rupture and repair for all of your learners, then, then you're really leaving so many people behind. And then as the learner or the person that's being coached or mentored or led, you're basically like throwing your money away, right? You're throwing your money away. You're throwing your resources away. Like I understand it takes right now, it's expensive to fly. It's expensive to drive. And then you lose out on wages when you go somewhere to train or you block off a day to train. And if you're not really going to get the deep learning that allows you to then take the information and implement it in a valuable way, it starts to feel kind of disappointing. Um, so not, not only the, are we leaving a lot of our learners in our team members behind, but Again, we have to be able to we have to be able to create environments in which trust can be built, right? And that also takes rupture and repair. And let's give some examples of of rupture, shall we? Just from like kind of let's talk about like we'll all start with like an emotional rupture, right? The experience of a rupture can be um, self doubt, right? It can just be like. I don't, I don't have all the knowledge. I don't have all the information. Um, it can be um, literally like um, not having enough trust, mm. right? You know, it can be not feeling safe in the environment. Therefore, the brain is not optimized for learning. And what we know about the nervous system is that when we're in a vulnerable state, we literally cannot hear as well. Yeah. Like, when you are, it's like, it's like when you are feeling safe, you're very expansive, right? You're very open because it's like, I'm safe. I'm standing in the middle of a field and I can stand there and feel safe and I can hear the sounds and I can smell the smells and I can see all of the things. But when you are in a vulnerable state, what happens is that field narrows. And so you literally, you attend to less, right? So feeling unsafe or not feeling like you can trust the environment. And I want to just like insert a little footnote here, which is so much of what I'm describing is unconscious, right? And then becomes conscious if you are first aware, <laughs> which is why we lean so heavily on nervous system and nervous system state awareness, because then we can be in choice about how we behave, mm. right? And how we take care of ourselves. But so much of our initial response is unconscious, whether or not I feel safe or not. But the implications are that like the reality is that when I feel unsafe, I don't learn as well because I don't, I literally don't hear as well. 
and then I'm not willing to take risks. So when I'm unsafe, I'm not going to like put my hand out, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stay guarded. I'm going to stay closed. I'm going to have a hard time speaking. I'm going to have a hard time delivering information. And I'm thinking about for our movement teachers who in a workshop are given a little bit of this information and then they're asked to apply it. It's difficult, right? When you're feeling in that space of rupture. Um, what what are other examples of rupture that you can think of, Anne? Yeah, well, I was just wanting to share an example. Like I can think of a lot of times, like if you're going to a doctor and you're getting a diagnosis, like sometimes you want another set of ears there because mm. you're feeling unsafe. You're getting some bad news about your health. And so you're hearing, but you're not really hearing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example that I can see of why, you know, how, if you, if you are in that, in that position, you can ask a friend or a, a loved one to come with you, or you can support someone else, you know, because it's hard to hear, um, when you're getting that information. I mean, I'll, I'll share how you and I have ruptured and repaired. <laughs> we yeah. rupture and repair, I don't know, monthly, weekly, daily. <laughs> um, so I think, I don't think you've all heard this story before. So when Chantel and I first started working together, it was like 2015, 2016. And it was the very first time we were going to create the master's program. And that was originally like a five month online component with a, with an in-person uh, retreat in Petaluma, California. And we have very different styles for, for working. And we didn't know that about each other yet. I trusted that Chantel could really get stuff done. And I, I think she trusted that in me too, because we, we both can. Um, yeah. But we didn't, all, my getting stuff done and her getting stuff done are different. And so there were, and this was like, you know, 2015. So we were like talking on the phone. Like there weren't like apps to really communicate through at that point. Yeah, we went through Zoom. We're just, just talking. On yeah, the we phone. were literally only talking on the phone. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so, I mean, if we were using Google Docs, but were we? I think, I mean, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, we probably were. I don't, I'll have to go back in time. And look and see. But yeah, like, um, so we we were trying to get this information out. And I I think over time, she and I have discovered, like, I'm more, um, I think there's a part of my creative process is very organic. So it's like, I see this structure and I, and I see it, but it's through the talking to Chantel that I'm able to describe the structure that I see, but I don't always know the structure until I've described it to her. <laughs> um, and, but there was definitely a rupture with us where like, when we were just put trust, trying to get the curriculum out, I think Chantil really likes to start with a title of things and, and then kind of like funnel down. And I'm a little more bottom up with, in some of our experiences. And so yeah, I want a big view structure and then I'll, and then once I have the big structure, I want to like, I want, give me all the, all the, the foundational or contextual details and I will just shove it full of, then I, then I'll just go to town, right? Like I, what we know about each other is I'm a reinventor and you're an inventor, mm -hmm. right? Like 
So we've done, we've uh, honestly we've done a lot of work around how to align our different strategies and and um, ways of being in the world. But I think really what stands out to me in that is we were getting like you had wanted to start way in advance. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even get my head in the space that you're in. Like I can't, you know, I can't even, I, I could not, I could not work. I could yeah. not. And, and then Anne wasn't creating. And then our timeline was getting closer and closer. And it really came to a head where we were like, what the fuck, man? We have got to do something. We've, we've got to create something. We yeah. had our idea, we had a mission, we had a vision, we had like our why, we had, we did, I think at some point have, have we had had the title, but it was like, how was this really going to be formulated? Yeah. And then how are we going to populate it with content? And that yeah. was really, and then I think, you know, so there was a lot of rupturing, right? There was a lot of like real stickiness of like, we're trying to hold our friendship, which was also yeah. emerging yeah. in a in a like a really generous space but also each of us going through like I don't know how to I don't know how to work with you literally yeah. I don't know how to work with you and I don't know how to work with you but it was our desire and it was our trust in each other and I remember we had a moment on the phone where we were just like we just kind of like outed ourselves we were yes. like this is not working we, we just, we owned it. Right. Yeah. So it was like, that was the moment of repair. Yeah. That's so like, good. But it took months. Yeah. <laughs> but it took months. And, and what I want to say about this is the rupturing is basically anything that's like, like a thorn in your side. It's a roadblock. It's a challenge. It's a failing. It's a getting it wrong. It's a, it's a doubt. It's a figuring it out. Like, you're in the muck, mm-hmm. right? There's not be enough time to be in the muck. But if you're left in the muck, that's a problem. And, and mm-hmm. so it just takes time. And for Anne and I, we had our own time and we have, we have timing with each other. And, but now we repaired. And since that moment, what we, do, what we know now is we have trust in our ability to repair. Yes. And so we are no longer afraid to rupture. That That's one of my biggest takeaways about how, why our partnership is so healthy is that we each can rupture individually or together, yeah. but there is a deep trust that the repair will always be there. And and so if you don't let, I think you want to say something. I think there's something on your mind. Well, I was just going to say too, I feel like at that moment, we did not know about the concept of rupture and repair. I didn't, certainly. No, I didn't. And we also had no support. It was you and me. We had very young children. And it yes. was just a very yeah. different time. And um, now we we have support as well. And so I find that when, and like we ourselves have mentors. And that has that has supported our growth um, and allowed us, I think, to repair and feel, and also feel confident with the rupture, repeated rupture. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, And so when we're talking about learning or leading, you have to build in time. You, so, so let me get really, really specific. 
you're, you're a leader or an educator and you're delivering information. You cannot just stand up and deliver information because you are not allowing for, for deliberate and explicit rupture, right? That is uh, crafted, designed, built in, which would be allowing for time to implement some kind of implementation, whether it's individual implementation or it's dyad implementation or it's community implementation, there has to be an explicit opportunity to integrate the information. Hmm. And, and then, because that creates rupture, right? Like if you think you're real smart and I've been in environments, you know, we all have sitting next to the person who's nodding their head and rolling their eyes because they think they know everything. They're like, I've heard this before, you know, like, oh, God, I already do this. You know, you've heard that before. It's like, well, you think that until you're actually deliberately trying to integrate it. And then you realize you don't actually understand it or it's different than you thought or people are not responding in the way that you thought. Whether you're a, a, a team member and you're out leading other team members or you're a teacher and you go back to your studio or your, to your patients and clients. And you're, and you're implementing the new bit of information. There has to be time for that. And then the, the final step is repair. You have to have somebody to repair with. Yes. And that I want to be really clear because from the perspective of the nervous system, nervous system resilience and repair does not happen in isolation. It's called co-regulation. So your ability, my ability, our ability to self-regulate, right, to, to feel into our nervous system states and then change our states cannot be done in isolation, right? Co-regulation, Anne and I, our ability to meet each other, trust each other, rupture, repair, build reciprocal, positive emotional reciprocity between each other, that's what builds the repair. So you cannot do this in isolation, right? So you are a team member or a teacher and educator and you're getting a piece of information. Maybe you had some time for rupture in, in the environment with support, but then you leave and there's no repair with another person. You're like out there orbiting around yourself. If, if there's no reflection or perspective, how do you repair, right? So getting support after the fact mm -hmm. is critical. Getting support, repairing with another person or better yet in a community of people, right? Who have dynamic versions of their own rupture and repair exponentially deepens the, the learning. No matter what you do and, and whether you're educating or leading or designing. Yeah, so the, the way that we've designed our upcoming uh, dynamic education and movement program to support this is that we are only offering either a six month or 12 month option. Mm -hmm. And so that allows for the time. Yes. Um, we're not saying necessarily come and take one time with us, right? We might invite people to do that because as Chantel said, some people can do that right? You can. But some of us 
need more or that relationship is supportive um, or just desired because many of us, sometimes we can, in many industries that you're in, particularly maybe if you're still, <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. teaching at home or working from home, you know, there's that sense of isolation, which mm-hmm. um, doesn't need to be there. So that's one of the ways in which we accounted for that. Another way is that we um, designed the course so that we provide curriculum monthly. The curriculum is shared at the beginning of the month. Then there are like provocations in small assignments, ways to think about it, like a worksheet to take the live event in which we're delivering knowledge, a small piece of Q&A, and then your self-work. Then um, we have a container for people to be in to chat with each other and support that's private, but that is also dynamic. And there's a lot of motivation theory in there to make how to create a community that is engaging. Uh, So we're we're using a lot of those um, skills and strategies within that. And then at the end of the month, and so then at the end of the month, we're having what we're calling is integration assignment, where you really truly are asked to integrate the work. And we're sort of, I guess, um, like poking the bear a little bit with the rupture piece because we, we're actually going to yes. s- step away. Yeah, it's like a baby bird will never learn to fly unless you push its ass out of the nest. Yes. Like, like, so, so it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, I think it's so it's, it's, um, you said provocation and I think, yeah, it's, 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 um, uh, provocative, right? Like yeah. it is like, it's a little risky, but it, it, to me, that's like, that's where the rupture and repair comes in. So in, in week four of, of the program each month, right? So again, you're in it for six or 12 months. Um, we, we're like, we step back on purpose, like explicitly. We say in in week four, we're going to give you a, an integration assignment, and we're going to just let you. We're going to let you go, right? Because sometimes we just need we need quiet, we need time, we need space, we need quiet, so that there's not this like barrage of information. So there's a pause where you go and you implement, and then. And that you get all kinds of rupture, right? You're getting some repairing with your students or your your team members probably, but the real repair is when you come back the next week and you report back, right? Where we are, we, we show up and say, how did it go? And then you say, what were your challenges? What were your successes? What questions do you have? Repair, repair, repair knowledge goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's not only fulfilling and rewarding and exciting, but you're literally getting a hundred times more your money's worth than if you were to go in a single workshop. And then, and then you keep going and you keep layering and you keep having access to the repair process because we are showing up deliberately for you right? Week after week. And you are showing up for yourself and for the community. Um, I'm really, really excited about this 
program. It does feel like, a, and you've you've said this, and and I've been thinking a lot about this. I feel like it's skillful teaching resurrected in a way, because this is how I ran my my first online educational um, program, which was a mentorship, a twelve month membership mentorship for teachers, and it was that that was it, twelve months. And most teachers, I would say 90% of the teachers were enrolled for two years. And, and it was this deep process of like being in the work with each other. Um, and I didn't want to be too precious about it because a lot of the questions we've been getting are, what's the time commitment? It's a 90 minute workshop the first week of the month. And then you decide how to participate, right? Depending on all the very, you know, all the variabilities, like your, your personal life, your professional life, your level of interest in the, yeah. In the topic. And I would say we learned very quickly back in 2016, when we were designing our first master's program course, that many of the times if we're giving you an integration assignment, it's something that you do while you're working. Yeah. <laughs> it's not on, it's like, while you are engaging with a client, yeah, it's not Ex extra. Yeah, experiment with X, Y, or Z because you're already doing that anyways. Mm -hmm. And so we have a support system for you to really integrate the work into what you're already doing because many people who teach movement um, also have other commitments in their life that are hugely bandwidth taking and also mm -hmm. um, time commitments. And so we want to support you in a way, but it doesn't mean that you that you don't that you don't get that you don't get to have it. Like I want you to have it. I want you to have the deep learning while you're working integrated in, even if you're busy. Like, yes. Just because you're busy and you've got other commitments doesn't mean you don't get to have deep learning. Yes. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really think I, I think we've really developed a program that serves our teachers and our leaders in so many different dynamic ways. And again, such an apropos title, dynamic education and movement. In movement, moving forward through growth, through exploring, or literally in movement. Um, so if you're listening to this podcast now, June 2nd, what I will let you know, I want you to, to have this information, which is we have some founders pricing spots, I think three still left. Um, this is a highly discounted first two months. Um, and then you sign up for the remaining four or 10 months. It's up to you. Uh, it's much more um, financially reasonable to do the additional 10 months. And then you can get, if you're in the movement field, if you're a Pilates teacher, um, or otherwise, you can then get your CECs if that's interesting to you. To me, that just feels like icing on the cake. It's, you know, it's the deep learning and the community that really is the highest value. So, and we launch on June 6th. Um, that's just a few days from now. That's Monday. Our founders pricing is available to all of our alumni until midnight on the 6th. So that means if you're an alumni, what how we're defining alumni is anybody who has ever purchased anything from the master's program. So could be one of our short courses, could have been the 21 day nervous system course, could have been teach it as marketing. Just you're going to click that button and you're going to get the, the founder's pricing. 
And then our first workshop happens next week. And if you are listening and it's sometime much further in the future, this program is ongoing and you, you're going to want to check it out in any case. And there will be lots of uh, places where you can get that information. Dynamic Education and Movement, it's a mentorship and seminar series. Um, and we're really excited about it. And this was a beautiful conversation. And I think really one of our, mm, I'm very fond of it. Maybe it's probably my top three of the conversation. Okay. All right. Really good. I think that, that um, people are going to have a lot to take away. I really hope that's true. And um, yeah, anything else in closing you want to share? I hope you all find your own way to make a repair if you notice a rupture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Be free and repair. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited, and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us, and there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?